0: What do you love about your mom? She makes all our food and she's just super kind. I like how she cares about me. She put up with me for the years and just gave me everything she had. She always reminds me of things that I miss because I'm very forgetful sometimes. Let's just play in the front. She always um, does what's best for me, even if it's not what I think is best for me, but she's usually right, usually. What does your mom do? My mom works. It's far away. Sometimes we just sit in the living room and read. She takes care of people and um, her plants. (laughs) Go on hikes. Sometimes I cook, we talk, we laugh. Um, I love baking and coloring and just talking with her. She does dishes. What do you do with your mom? She likes cooking, singing, and like doing her work. Play games. Hiking. Um, Paddleboarding. I like to play family board games such as chess with my mom. I I tag along. Sometimes when she goes outside, you know, takes a walk. I like to go on car rides with my mom. Gardening is the most just amazing thing in the world. On the first Saturday of every month, our family all gets together, usually at her house, and we play games either inside or out and we have a fun meal together. Snuggle with her. What do you appreciate about your mom? She always lets us play with her. Gets me what I want sometimes. Okay. She gives me hugs. She just helps me whenever I need it. She cleans the house, she maintains the kids, she's raising us, she's teaching us, she's um, helping us grow. She has guided me throughout life. She loves the Lord so much and has taught me so much about God and, and what it means to live for him. She's such a great example of a disciple of Jesus. That she makes lunch fuss. I just appreciate everything she does because she works so hard just to support us as a family. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. I love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Hi- Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Well, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> now, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Starting now, I guess. <laughs> Hey, if you're a guest with us today, I want to give you a warm welcome. And uh, if you're watching online, hey, we're glad you're tuned in. I just want to say again, echo that, just happy Mother's Day to, to all of you, you moms. We love you. We're thankful for you. Uh, I want to say happy Mother's Day to my mom who's watching online today. I also want to say happy Mother's Day to my wife. Um, you know, she's, uh, <laughs> hey, anything I'm able to bring for this church, you know, anything good. <laughs> Uh, that I'm able to offer the time and energy that I, I pour into this place, I, I'm telling you, I can only do that because of my wife, uh, Danielle. And so I'm very thankful uh, to Danielle. Uh, I hope as a church you are too. <laughs> Sometimes we don't realize how much a, a wife behind the scenes does. Um, you know, raising four kids. She's raising Logan, Michaela, Callie, and then me. All right. And so uh, I, I just want to say, honey, I love you. Um, but I, I want to tell all you moms, uh, man. What a great church to be a part of. So many of you, I I consider you spiritual mothers who have shown me love and grace over the years. And uh, I'm thankful for each and every one of you. Today we're in a series, uh, continuing a series called Encountering Jesus. We've, We've been very clear about this. We said our world needs a Jesus encounter. Our community needs a Jesus encounter. And I've said and been very clear, I need a Jesus encounter. Every day, I want to experience everything that God has for my life. I don't want to miss out on anything God wants for me. And I hope you would say the same thing. And I'm telling you, we all need to be encountering this Jesus on a a daily basis. We see when people meet Jesus, good things follow for their life if they're willing to receive what he has to offer. Uh, This morning, I want to start off with a question. Have you ever needed a second chance? You ever needed just a second chance in life? You ever received a second chance in life? Many years ago, Danielle uh, and I, we were out uh, at a conference in California. Uh, and uh, I remember we, we had a little time, so we went uh, to, to the beach. We went to Newport Beach, and we just started walking the beach. And we came to the pier, and uh, even before we got to walking underneath the pier, we could see this, this commotion. We could see the scene. And what this was... There was a pigeon surrounded by a a pack of seagulls, and uh, every time this pigeon would try to fly off, these seagulls were about four times the size of this pigeon would fly up and keep this pigeon from being able to take off. Well, my wife has a huge heart for animals, and so she was like, not on my watch, Okay, as we're seeing this scene unfold, this seagull comes over, even grabs a bunch of feathers out of this pigeon. I mean, they were going to eat this pigeon alive. So Danielle runs over there and starts trying to free this pigeon from these seagulls. Now, at this point, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm pretty embarrassed. <laughs> so I kind of gave my wife one of these and just, and I, I, I kid you not, I walked off. And for 15 minutes, I was by myself. I thought she was going to come catch up with me, give up, you know, free this pigeon. 15 minutes later, I'm, where is my wife? I walk back over. Okay, this is 15 minutes later underneath this pier, and my wife is swinging <laughs> at seagulls. Like they're attacking her, they're attacking this pigeon. And I'm like, what are we going to do? And she's like, get help. Get help. And, and so they, there was this, this uh, lifeguard station right over the pier, and I'm like, maybe I go in there and I see if there's anything they can do, because I'm like, I'm not getting my wife out of this. And so I go in, and I'm like, hey, um, could anyone uh, help me save a pigeon so that I can get my wife and we can get out of here? And this dude, I'm never going to forget this, I mean, he, he's got his bare feet kicked up on the countertop, he's... He's got his tank top on, and he's like, brah, circle of life, (laughs) brah, circle of life. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not getting anywhere with this guy. But that verse, you know, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. (laughs) So I wasn't going to go. I'm like, dude, actually, I just resorted to begging at this point. Like, you don't understand. If you don't come help me rescue this pigeon, I'm never getting out of here. My wife is not going to let this go. So it took a little longer than I would like it to have taken. But eventually, two life cards came down and with my wife helped fend off these seagulls long enough for this pigeon to be free. And I hope the pigeon learned its lesson, stayed away from the beach and is flying happy uh, these days. But this pigeon got a, that got a second chance, <laughs> literally, in, in, you know, on life. And I wonder if some of us come in here today and maybe need a second chance on life. Second chance some area of our life. Maybe you come in here and you just, you, 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 maybe you're wearing some guilt. You're wearing some shame. You're wearing something. And maybe it's your past just haunting you. Or maybe it's a struggle right now. And you're like, if I could just had a second chance at life if I could just walk in some freedom, man, I would do anything for that. Well, if that's you, I'm glad you are here today. My hope is as a church that we're going to be able to grow in in this concept of grace and what grace is all about and what God's grace really looks like. Because a lot of us know that word. A lot of us use that word. It's a church word, and yet I'm amazed at how few of us actually understand what grace is. And so my hope is we're going to understand grace, and if there's some freedom that's needed in our life, we're going to discover that freedom and start walking in that freedom today. We're going to be looking at a story called The Woman Caught in in Adultery. And uh, I'm just going to jump in. This is from John 8. And so starting in verse 1, we read this. It says, Jesus went to uh, the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where... All the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them, okay? Now, this might just sound like it's telling us where Jesus was and what Jesus was doing, but there's actually some significance behind this because when you read the Old Testament, there's a lot to be said about the Mount of Olives, this mountain that was just east of the temple. In fact, this is also called the Mount of Ascension. This is where Jesus ascended into heaven after the resurrection, But in the Old Testament, and specifically in in, in Ezekiel, he prophesied that he saw the glory of God move from the Mount of Olives into the temple courts. Okay? So this is right here referencing the divinity of Jesus who comes from the Mount of Olives and is now in the temple courts teaching the people. It's saying Jesus is The glory of God. This is God. This is God in a bod, we could say. All right? This is Jesus who is God in the flesh. And the people have gathered around in the courts and are now, imagine that, being taught directly from God. Okay? Verse 3 says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman. Caught in adultery. So notice who it is. It's, it's the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. These are supposed to be the experts. These are the religious leaders of the day. These are the people who are supposed to be the closest to God, who know God better than anyone else, and they're going to bring this, this woman who's been caught in adultery. See, this is not an innocent woman. This is a woman who has uh, been caught in this act, this act of, of having an, an affair. We read on, it says they made her stand before the group of people, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Jesus realizes that this is a this is a trap. He sees through their Hypocrisy, okay? They want to trap Jesus. In fact, verse 6 makes that very clear. It says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So what they're trying to do here is if, if, if Jesus is going to be legalistic here and have this woman stoned, then the the Romans are going to arrest Jesus because that would be considered murder. The Jewish people didn't have the right just to have someone stoned like this under Roman law. So they're trying to get Jesus arrested if he's going to go the path of legalism. But if he doesn't, Then they're going to be able to say, see, Jesus isn't serious about the law. He's not serious about the Bible. He's not serious about our traditions. He's not serious about these things. How can you trust this man? So you can see the trap that they're trying. And Jesus sees through their hypocrisy. He knows what they're up to. And by the way, where is the man in this story? Seems a little unfair to bring the woman But leave out the man. As far as I understand, it takes two to tango. They don't bring the man. They bring the woman. Man, we make really bad judges. (laughs) Really good at seeing, you know, specks in other people's eyes, but missing the plank in our own. Verse 6 goes on to say, but Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Wouldn't we love to know what Jesus was writing on the ground? It doesn't tell us specifically, but I have a theory what Jesus was writing on the ground. Would you like to hear my theory? You're going to hear it anyways, okay, because I got the microphone right now. But okay, I think, let me ask you this question. Who wrote the Old Testament law? And the answer is not Moses. Moses. More specifically, who wrote the Ten Commandments? Yeah, it was God. It was God. Okay? I believe what Jesus is doing is he has stooped down on the ground and he is writing something to the equivalent of, Thou shalt not. A reference and a, 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 a referring to his having been the one that wrote. The Ten Commandments. Now, this is interesting. When we read Exodus 31, 18, listen to this. It says, When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law. The tablets of stone inscribed by what? The finger of God. In fact, there's a lot of Old Testament scriptures that refer to the uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments being written with the finger of God. And So here Jesus is writing, it says with his finger, I think he's trying to tell us something. I know the law. I wrote it. <laughs> I am God. I know what it says. I'm the one who gave the law to you. And so Jesus bends down and he starts writing Probably something that says, thou shalt not. And I think it's a way of saying, hey, you know, that same tablet that says, thou shalt not commit adultery, it also says, thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not lie, and thou shalt not covet. Those are on the same tablet that's saying, thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 7, it says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Don't you love this, this answer that Jesus gives? Let the one who is without sin, the one who hasn't, maybe adultery isn't your issue, but the one who hasn't committed one of those Ten Commandments laws. Be the first to throw a stone. Because as the Bible teaches, if you break one law, you've broken them all. <laughs> We're all guilty before God. So let the one who is without sin, let him go ahead and be the first to throw that, that stone. And then verse 9, I love it. It says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Seems to be suggesting, you know, young people, not always, but young people can 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 sometimes be very zealous in their faith and can be very zealous to 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 exercise justice. But when we we realize that. Under true justice, we would all be found guilty. It's the older people who sometimes have lived just a little bit longer and begin to realize, hey, we're, we're all sinners. One of the reasons I love our, our seasoned citizens here at Edinburgh Church, some of the most grace-filled people you will ever meet, and these, these, these older people are convicted to the heart. Yeah, Jesus is right. We're all, all guilty. And they begin dropping their stones one at a time, all the way down to the more zealous young people. Beautiful picture. Jesus is stand, left standing with this woman. And it says he straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? So no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. (laughs) Then neither do I, Jesus declared. (sighs) Maybe some of you come in here today and you need to hear those words. I don't condemn you. You are not condemned. You need some grace. You need a second chance, or maybe you need a third chance, or a fourth chance, or a fifth chance. I've got good news. We worship a God of grace. We worship a God of love who is willing to extend that grace to each and every one of us. Friends, grace is foundational to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it is by what? It is by grace that you have been saved. Your salvation depends on God being a gracious God for you. Adultery might not be your issue. I guarantee you have a different kind of issue of some kind. And your salvation hinges on this idea of grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through what? Faith. Okay? It's got to come by faith. I remember reading this book one time by a theologian named Gresham Machen. It was like, this thick, what is faith? So you could have boiled this book down to one page in his book cause I'm just what is faith? What is it? What are we talking about when we come talk about saving faith here? He boiled it down to one concept. It is the concept of receiving. Faith is receiving Jesus Christ. It is receiving all that comes with Jesus. That's what faith is. It, have you received it? Have you received his grace? Have you received everything, all the blessings? including salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. We could say that's what faith is. It's really receiving Christ into your life. And it says, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. This has to be given. This is a gift that God gives to us, not by works so that no one can, can boast. You can't earn it. Can't work for it. It has to be given from God outside of yourself to you, and then you have to be willing to invite it in and receive it for your life. Okay? It can't be by works, because if we start to think it's about works, I'm good enough, I'm a good person, I'm better than so and so over here, so therefore I qualify, you're eventually going to become a person that starts picking up stones and aiming them at others. We should all be humbled. By this concept of grace that none of us deserved but was given to us as a free gra- uh, gift of God. And, and I just wonder if some of you in here, this you need to receive that grace and, 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 and let that everything that means for your life begin to flow in your life and through your life for your life today. So again, if you come in here and you are carrying something from your past or you are... F- heavy with guilt or shame of some kind because of your past or a current struggle, I'm hoping today that you are going to be able to let that go and walk out of here today in freedom. And maybe some of you don't come in here today feeling that, like I'm guilty and ashamed, but I'm hoping that all of us as as God's people are going to grow in this concept of grace together, okay? So what I want to do with the rest of our time is talk about just three aspects of God's grace, Okay? There's plenty more we could discuss, but these are three I want to discuss with the rest of the time that we, we have. This is the first one. We need to understand that God's grace is instant. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this in. God's grace is instant. It comes into our life instantaneously. I, I, I've, I've learned that, you know, even in the church, when, when we mess up and, and, and we We need grace. There's a tendency on people's part to make us grovel. Anybody notice that? We want to see people grovel. It's it's what my ministry coach, he, he he calls it righteous meanness. It's alive in churches today, unfortunately. God's not like that. Show me the Jesus that's making this woman grovel. graces. It's instant. She re- re- receives this grace. You receive it, it's yours. Romans 8 one says, therefore, there is, what's that word? No. Now. Now. The price has already been paid. Uh, r- r- therefore, there is now. No condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that's the key being in, 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 in Christ Jesus. So uh, many of you know my story. Just coming out of drug addiction and just doing some really bad things. I wore my guilt and I wore my shame for so, so, so long. Just, so I, I, I didn't have all my, I didn't, I didn't know this stuff. I didn't, I didn't understand these concepts of grace. And so I thought I had to work for it. I thought I had to earn it. I thought I had to get good enough for God to love me. Anybody trying to do that today? Get their life cleaned up, and then God will receive them, and then God maybe will love you and accept you. You know, I was just working, and I got exhausted, friends. Exhausted. I grew bitter towards God because it never felt like no matter how much I did, it didn't seem to draw me any closer. I never seemed to be good enough. Oh, but then I learned a precious doctrine. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, do more research uh, about it on your own time, called the imputation, the imputation of righteousness. This, This doctrine changed my life. Okay, it's a doctrine we talk about quite a bit here at Edinburgh Church. And it was this, it's this doctrine that teaches, so Jesus took all of our sin on the cross, all of our bad, all of our filth, and, and because of that, then he took the curse that we deserved, the justice and the, the judgment we, we deserved upon himself, okay? But he didn't just do that. See, that's where it stops for many of us. Yeah, Jesus took my sin. No, he did more than that. He didn't just take your sin upon himself. He also gave you something. What did he give you? he gave you his righteousness his righteous standing his righteous standing okay and so when you are in Christ think of it like a bubble right in Christ no it's not the language no condemnation now for those who are in Christ you're like in a bubble you are in a Christ righteousness bubble it's not your righteousness it's Christ righteousness and you got to get into that bubble because when you are in the bubble, when you are in Christ, when you are wearing his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness, do you know what God the Father sees when he looks on you? He sees the righteousness of Jesus applied to you, which means he sees absolute perfection. And none of us are righteous, okay? Okay? So you are counted righteous by God when you are not actually righteous. Because see, I realized I'm, not, I'm never gonna be good enough. I'm never gonna be righteous enough. I better have something credited to my count that is bigger, better than me, greater than me. And so when I learned that there was this concept that I could receive a righteousness given to me, that's not my own, that God applies, even when I'm at my worst, friends. And and, and when I say that, when I say that God counts you righteous in Christ, even when you are not righteous, how does that strike you? Does that maybe disturb some of us that I would say that? Does it, does it challenge you a little bit? That I would say God counts you perfect even when you're not. He counts you righteous even when you're not righteous. Let me, let me suggest that's because of our tradition and our upbringing and some of the things some of us heard. Say, how could that be possible? Because that's how good our God is. It's called grace. And some of us have never actualized and received what grace is. It's being righteous when you aren't actually righteous, when you're at your worst. I don't know about you. I need it. Amen? Anybody else? This is the grace and goodness of our God. And you need to know it happens instantly. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God who made him, made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. So I'm gonna be in my Christ righteousness bubble. Are you gonna live in your Christ righteousness bubble? And what I would say to you, don't let anyone burst your bubble, because people will try to make you grovel and burst your bubble. And you gotta remind yourself God's grace came instantly. For my life, I am now in Christ, counted perfect by my Father in heaven. Good news? I would say that's pretty good news. <laughs> oh, for a sinner like me, it is. Second thing I want us to understand about God's grace is it's greater. God's grace is, is greater. Because some of us are like, you don't know the sin I've committed, though. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. And I want you to understand, no, God's grace is even greater than your worst sin. Uh, Romans five twenty says this, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. No matter how bad your sin was, God had more grace to show. No matter how, what, you know, sin you committed, God's grace is, is greater, is greater. So, Uh, Some of you, you know, when you play like sports with your kids or like basketball with your kids, right, like you kind of take it easy on them. You want them to like, you know, score a few points and, you know, feel pretty good about themselves. I have a completely different philosophy. No mercy. And I believe I'm doing kids good, okay, because I am teaching them just like this is the real world, friends. If you're going to bring in some weak garbage, you're going to find out. And so my my brother-in-law, he he was like seven, eight years younger than I was. I was like in college. I think he was still in, in junior high. We would play basketball all the time. No mercy. Just dominated this. All right. The problem was he grew up. And I remember, I remember the day that happened when he was in high school. He became like this stud basketball player, I got a scholarship for basketball. And I remember the day where all of a sudden, he, it was not playing a little kid anymore. He now dominated me on the court. I would be lucky if I would score one basket against this kid, okay? To the point where I, like, I didn't want to play him anymore. I started making up excuses like, I would wear, like, loafers over his head. I don't have shoes on oh, my back. I can't play today, right? Because because he was just that good. He dominated me. Friends, you need to understand when it comes to your sin, God will dominate you with his grace. Amen. He will dominate you. Your sin doesn't stand a chance. I, I don't. Listen, I was thinking about this this week. Who, who wrote most of the books of the Bible, right? Who, who wrote most of the Bible? What, what, what? I was thinking about this. It would be Moses, David, and Paul, the Apostle Paul. Do you know what they all have in common? They were all murderers. Moses murdered an Egyptian and and tried to cover up his body in the sand to hide him. David had an affair. He committed adultery and then intentionally had the husband of the woman, Bathsheba, had the husband killed in battle. And then we know Paul, of course, had at least one Christian, Stephen, stoned to death in the the city streets. And all these men should have known better. And God used them to write the book that teaches us about grace. <laughs> are you seeing how gracious and good your God is? And yeah, this shocks us. These three men, most churches wouldn't let them sit on their board of directors. And these are the people writing that God chose to write scripture. To give us his very word. He used them. He loved them. He showed them grace, and he showed them mercy, and and, and it challenges us. Now, this is where someone will say to me, yeah, but, Pastor, does that mean just people should just live in sin and and just, you know, because of God's grace, God's going to show grace, and they just keep living however they want to live? Well, here's where I would say, I mean, you can keep doing that if you want, but it's going to bring disaster into your life. Sin is not good for your life. That's why the story of the woman caught in adultery, it actually ends with Jesus saying, go now and leave your life of sin. You need to go and cut off this affair. You need to go and stop. Why? Because he cares about her. And he knows if we're going to continue living in sin, it's going it's to bring hurt and destruction and pain into our life and oftentimes into the life of, of other, other people. And I, I do believe this. I've been wrestling with this lately, this, this question about obedience and at the end of the day, what I, what, I, what I would say I believe at least today, and I've taught this before, I, I do believe that obedience to God, as best as we can do in our own strength, I do believe it leads to blessing. I do. I do. I just, I think when we're obedient, I think, I, I know for me, that's when I feel the closest to God, and that's when I feel the most filled with his spirit and his, his, his love and his joy and peace. I just feel more in tune to that. And so I do believe that obedience breeds breeds blessing. But then I would also say this, did you realize it takes even God's grace to help you walk in obedience? (laughs) We need grace for all of it. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, right? Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that we can live for your glory and have the joy that comes from that. So Jesus, of course, wants that for us. But let's be honest. This woman left from this encounter and still made mistakes. And there was grace for that too. We need God's grace for every aspect of our life. God's grace is greater and we need as much of it as we can get. And here's the third and last thing I want us to see. God's grace is mine. You're taking notes what I mean by that. This, it's got to be yours. It cannot be your parents. can't be your pastors. God's grace has to be yours. We read this in John 1. Uh, John tells us, it says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The people who should have received him didn't receive him. Yet to all who did, and here's that word. What's that word? Receive, had faith, receive him to those who believed in his name. See, he's using those synonymously there to receive and to believe. He gave the right to become. The children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. What an upside-down kingdom we live in where it's the murderers and it's the adulterers and it's the the worst of sinners entering into the kingdom of God. And it's the people who think they're so good who are not. I'm just telling you, that's an upside-down kingdom. That is an upside-down kingdom, church. We have got to understand how God's grace and how his kingdom works. It is an upside-down kingdom. The sinners are coming in. The people who should have received him and have known better are rejecting the grace that they too need. Whoa. It's got to become ours. We have to take ownership. And receive it for ourselves. Listen, I know some of you come in here today and you are carrying a burden. You are carrying a shame of some kind. It is heavy and you have been wearing this on your back and it's like even getting to the point where like, you are maybe even just feeling paralyzed because it's so heavy, heavy to live life that way. Always feeling guilty, always feeling ashamed because of your past or some current struggle that you're dealing with. I don't know what that... Guilt, I don't know what that shame might look like for you, you know, you, but some of you have, are literally carrying bricks on your, your, your back, you know, some, some kind of sexual immorality. I, I don't know, I just feel like sexual sins for some reason, just, just they're heavy. You know, it could be an abortion, it could be a failed marriage, it could be don't know what that is for you. It could be really, really bad. And you're walking around with it every day thinking that's that's what defines your life. Here's what Jesus is saying today. He's saying, you can give it to me. I will take it and I will carry this for you and I will pay for this on the cross and let this be buried in my grave with me so that you can be set free. Okay, but here's the problem. Let's be honest. Here's the problem. We lay it down at the feet of Jesus so Jesus can take, and we walk around, and for a time, you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to feel, okay, I'm free. I've let it go. God shows me grace, and then you're going to go and you're going to pick it back up. Anybody? So what do you do? I'm just going to leave you with two things, two thoughts. Keep you from picking it back up and leave it at the feet of Jesus where it belongs. First off, you've got to preach grace to yourself. You better become a preacher. I don't know what else to tell you. You have someone called the enemy, Satan. Do you know what his name means? Accuser. He's going to accuse you over and over and over and tell you of your guilt with him. You better get to where you can preach grace to yourself. That's not who I am. I am the righteousness of God. That's who I am. I am a child of God, Satan. God's grace for my life, it's instant. It's greater, and it is mine. You better learn to preach to yourself because you have one out there who's going to want to make your life heavy. And the second thing I would encourage us to do is to surround ourselves with grace-filled people. <laughs> We need grace-filled people around us. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong cutting out stone throwers out of your life. You need friends that will remind you who you are. People who will help you walk in this incredible, mind-blowing thing we call God's grace. It does take other people reminding us, supporting us, helping us. Do that, and friends, if you're looking by the way for grace filled people to hang out with, welcome to Edinburgh Church. This is a grace filled church for grace hungry people. And if you are a grace hungry person, I want you to be my friend, I want you to come grace filled. And I want you to help me reach the next grace-hungry person that needs to hear about God's grace. Is it upside down? Is it different from how the world works? Is it different from what even some of us grew up hearing in the church? It might be, but at Edinburgh Church, we will be grace-filled. Because we're living in a grace-hungry world. And we have the best news there is on the planet. There's a Jesus who loves us and is willing to carry our sin for us so that we can walk in freedom. You gonna join me, church? You gonna walk in this grace? Are we gonna be grace-filled friends? Can we be grace-filled friends? I wanna be your friend. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you. (laughs) How incredible, mind-blowing, counterintuitive, countercultural it is. And maybe even today, some of our traditions or some of our just, I don't know, deepest thoughts need to be rewired, reprogrammed because we've been conditioned to shame. We've been conditioned to guilt. Lord, may we receive the free gift today that you offer us. We receive it right now in the name of Jesus. I'm praying in the name of Jesus. We we hand our bag over right now in the name of right now. It's yours, Jesus. Carry it for me. Some of us need to say that, right? Just say, it's yours right now. Carry it. God, we're reminded your grace is greater. You dominate us with your grace. And it's ours personally. And it's ours as a church. May we be ambassadors of this amazing truth. It's all about you, Jesus. This is a gift that you earned, that you made possible for sinners like us. So we say thank you. We love you. And we want more of your spirit and your presence in our lives and in this place. We pray this in your name. Amen. I think we got reason to worship this morning. I think we got some reason to worship. So I'm going to ask us to stand up and let's worship together, church.